1: Receipts live show at Tadoom.com slash WHTR. That's T-U-D-U-M dot com slash W H T R. Tickets are limited. If you can't make it to the show, we still want to hear your beautiful voice. Leave us a message at speakpipe.com slash we have the receipts. You may even hear your own voice on the show. Grab a ticket at to doom.com slash WHTR. And we'll see you on May 4th in Los Angeles. Bye, cashiers. Welcome to You Can't Make This Up, a companion podcast from Netflix. I'm Ray Vada, and I'm hosting this episode. Every other week on You Can't Make This Up, we feature a new interviewer discussing a different Netflix original series or film with special guests. What do the films and series have in common? They're all surprisingly true. This week, we're revisiting the hit docuseries, The Keepers. It's been a year since it came out, and we still can't stop talking about it. The Keepers is a seven-part docu-series that investigates the unsolved murder of Sister Kathy Sesnick, a nun and Catholic high school teacher in Baltimore. In November 1969, Sister Kathy went missing, and her body wasn't found for two months. It wasn't until recently that former students started gathering together online to try and unravel the truth of what happened at their school, including the trauma the school's chaplain was inflicting upon young women and men. Wayner, one of the survivors of this story, joins Director Ryan White and Kelly McEvers of NPR's Embedded. We highly recommend you watch The Keepers before listening to this episode. Consider this your spoiler alert. Now without further ado, here's Kelly McEvers with Gene and Ryan.
2: Welcome to both of you. I'm so glad to get a chance to talk to you. And I kinda just want to like I just want you to sort of start at the beginning. Whenever, you know, when you watch a series like this, you have so many questions. And mine is just like, how did it all start? It
0: was a it was a personal connection. So my um, mom is from Baltimore, big Catholic family. And my aunt was Sister Kathy's student at Archbishop Keogh High School. And she was actually in Jean's class. Um, they were the same age. So I think about four years ago now, Jean, for the first time, in an article by Tom Nugent, who's that journalist who appears throughout the series— put her name on Jane Doe for the first time. Uh And my mom and my aunt sent me that blog post and said, oh, my God, we've always wondered who Jane Doe was in Baltimore, and it turns out it's a family friend of ours. Would you like to meet her? And that's how it all began. It began with myself and my producer, Jessica Hargrave. We flew out to Baltimore, no cameras, um, not knowing anything about the keepers or how large this story was. Solely to meet Jean. Um, And so we went to Jean's condo. We had a five-hour conversation with her and a few of her family members. And I left that condo thinking, this woman is so compelling. I've never met someone like her. I've never entered a story like this before. But if she wants to to do this with us, then I want to do it with her. And that was the beginning of a many-month process of deciding if this was the next best step for Jean to really come out this publicly as Jane Doe.
2: Did you consult research and experts and that kind of thing in, in this field, you know? Did you feel like you had to do some homework?
0: No, and I probably should have. Uh, my homework was the the survivors, um, and they really held my hand through the process, Gene hmm. specifically. But hmm. all of the women you see in The Keepers and many women and men who are not in The Keepers who wanted to speak confidentially or only on the phone or just have a lunch with us. Um, and they really taught me a lot. But the I should have done my preparation for what um, pulling the lid off The Keepers was going to do in the world, I think. And so I wasn't prepared for really how extremely popular and how much of a phenomenon Netflix is worldwide. And so I had been so tunnel-visioned in making The Keepers and um, invested in these personal stories of the women who survived Maskell's abuse and Sister Kathy's story that once The Keepers came out, it was a—and I'm talking— Hours after The Keepers came out, it was a nauseating experience, feeling the flood of people coming in with their own stories from all over the world, their stories of abuse who were touched by The Keepers, touched by Gene's story in some way and wanted to share their own. And that's, that was my very ill-prepared way of the series coming out. And then we began um, <laughs> contacting a lot of experts saying, how do we handle all these people with their own personal stories that we can't possibly uh, tell.
2: tell? Yeah. One of the things you did in the film, the series, I guess I should call it a series. Mm -hmm. I uh, still say film. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and you had to do it. You had to recreate things, right? And you had to recreate horrible things. Mm -hmm. How hard was that?
0: That was a very hard decision and it's interesting that you say we had to because yeah it was or a choice too yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah 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 you didn't we didn't have yeah. to um so it was a it was a creative decision and that sounds um pretty blunt calling it creative but when you're working in documentary as a medium you need to illustrate the story in some way
2: yeah it's interesting that you know you you've got so many choices to make and it seems like you erred on the side of sort of minimalism, right? Just a few details to show to us and then kind of let us fill in the rest in a way. Um, yeah, the I desk, mean- the leaves as, you know, feet are walking through the the woods, things like that.
0: And that's across the board with The Keepers, not just in those sequences, I think. I I, I know in the edit room we were often saying less is more Mm -hmm. um, because these stories are horrific.
2: um,
0: And the emotion that surrounds it is uh, exponentially horrific. Um, So if you watch the series, you know— um, I don't think Jean will mind me saying that there were a lot of tears while we were making this series over the course mm-hmm. of many years. Mm-hmm. There's only one scene where you actually see her cry mm-hmm. um, in The Keepers. And we could have included a lot for, for emotional mm-hmm. um, impact. Right. Um, but we always thought less is more. There was one moment where Jean broke down after a specific memory of reading something to the archdiocese in the 1990s about what had happened to her. And she broke down. And that was the moment that we felt like we should include that was the the most honest to Jean's emotions. And Jean can comment on this, but I actually had a conversation with her about including that sequence. Oh. I you know, I always have mm-hmm. the um, the contractual control with my documentary subjects to include anything. That's part sure. of the deal of documentary subjects is they sign a release form saying, you can edit this freely. But almost in all my documentaries, there's one moment with my main subjects where I want to make sure that they are okay with this certain scene. And I feel like I have to make my argument for it. Um, and make sure that they're prepared for it. And that was that scene with Jean. Huh. Um, so I talked to her about it. and I, and mm-hmm. you know, she can comment on what that was like to make the decision to allow me to include it because if she had said this is too much, i would have I would have left it on the cutting room floor,
3: huh and Jean, how did you how what did you think about that? Um, he came in one evening, and just while, well, in the course of our talking, he said, I, I want to present this. This is something that because um, it was a very painful evening of reading those um, memories that I had handwritten and given to the archdiocese years ago, and it, you have to remember, I haven't, ta- I didn't, it, I never read them to anyone else. I read them to the archdiocese representatives, and that's as far as it went. So the things I'm pulling out of a box wow. were in my garage for twenty years. So. I'm reading it as if it's really being heard for the first time. So when he came in and said that one scene, now there had been a lot of other very tearful and painful scenes, but my first response to him is, why? You know, is it to sensationalize this? Do you need to do that in order to, uh, to draw people in? And he explained to me why, that he felt that it was the one scene that would really, truly express the depths of emotion. Because I am a person who comes off pretty much in control. And I talk in a very clear and articulate way. And to see that moment of emotion put all the walls down, it's when everything is just now, there were other times, and if he had said more, he needed more, that would have been a different huh. story. But I, he made sense to me.
2: Some of you guys were partners in this endeavor. I mean, just all along. P- partners
0: is the best word. I think most yeah. documentaries are like that, but this one more so than any. I mean, we're, we're, we're one year out of The Keeper's release, so it's, it's easy to talk about now because the finish line is way behind us. But <laughs> I remember um, going to the Nantucket Film Festival with Gene soon after the premiere and it was actually jeans first public appearance as Jane Doe. She did a QA and a with me. And I always call it our, and, and, and Jean is the one who initiated this. We went to dinner and I always call it our breakup conversation, <laughs> which was tearful from both <laughs> sides. But, you know, I, I also like to joke that Jean's been my most uh, honest relationship I've ever had. <laughs> she brings she brings an honesty out in me. And we had a conversation, um, a tearful one about how this, this, we were moving to the next phase of our relationship. And I wasn't going to mm-hmm. be in her life for two weeks of every month, which we had been in that we had been doing that for years, visiting Baltimore half of every month mm-hmm. um, and spending so much time together. And I think it's important to say that the keepers is so heavy. Um, and that's because the experience that we're relying in the keepers is heavy. But Gene and I also had a lot of fun together,
2: and that just doesn't end up in the in the right. series because you,
0: the series needs that gravity. That's not the experience we're yeah. conveying. But we also it had a lot like a of fun together in a
2: scene, right? So it was an right. emotional
0: breakup, but it was also a breakup right. of 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 someone that I had really grown to love and enjoy spending time with. Where like it's so nice even hearing her voice right now because we just don't get to talk as often as we used to, and we definitely don't get to see each other as Same often as we here. used to. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I think that the um, the thing to also to remember is that this was a very intimate, private relationship that was growing. I was growing in trusting this other, and I also, for probably the first year and a half, could not allow myself to think it was going any further than the three people and me in a room or the family gathering, or the comfortable hmm. places that I would be. It was probably a year and a half in, and my daughter would tell you, she would say, you know this is going public, right? And I just couldn't allow myself to be there. It wasn't one of the steps oh. yet. It's the way that I work. It's the survivor in me. This is feels right. I can do this. So a year and a half into it is when I started to realize maybe that was when Netflix was starting to be shared as mm-hmm. a possible partner, that I had to really come to terms with, oh, my gosh. And so then it was, to, to say that it was a partnership is almost understating. I feel that um, I love Ryan, and I came to trust his way of seeing me and there are a few people up until that point that I allowed in to see me, and I could grow from the way that I saw the trust in their eyes of who I was. And um, and this man did that. And, um, and we're still regular people, but he was ministering in some way to that broken child within me that was having the opportunity to talk and to share and to not be— denied and not, and to not be told she's lying and to be encouraged to take a break and to maybe we'll do, let's just take a walk and not film. He, he heard me. He got me on some level, but he was working at doing that too. How long did it take to make the series? I
0: think it's about three years from beginning to end.
2: I'm sure anyone who's watched it, the first question they have is, you know, what's happened in the case, you know, um, and I know Gemma is probably going to speak to this too, but, you know, what's happened since the release?
0: I mean, we continue, we're, we're not, we're not documenting it anymore. We haven't, you know, we, we have no plans to make a second season, but um, Jess and I definitely continue to keep our ear to the ground. Um, and a lot of information came out after the keepers. And luckily we had created a, quite a good relationship with the Baltimore police by the end um, where we can field that information to them, so I am still hopeful. I mean, there's obviously certain things I can't say, um, but I'm still very hopeful that this uh, murder can be solved. I still think it can be solved, hmm. um, and that only increased after the keepers came out.
2: Can you give a, cu- a couple of examples of things that have come forward that you can talk about?
0: Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got to be very careful. Uh, just, I, I mean, you can't you can't unravel the I think you can't unravel the abuse that was happening at Archbishop Keogh from the death of Sister Kathy. So while, you know, we know that they exhumed Maskell's body— I think that's a very positive step. The DNA on Sister Kathy's body, whatever that sample is, did not match Father Maskell's. Um, That didn't surprise anybody because the predominant theory has never been that Father Maskell actually did it himself. Um, But that was a huge step in showing that the Baltimore police were finally, at least publicly, showing that they took him seriously as a suspect, showing that they took Gene seriously as a witness. So that was a big step. But People coming forward about the abuse, once you find out more information about who was abused, who were the abusers, because we couldn't include all of that in the series, perhaps for legal reasons or, you know, this was a big web of people. You can start connecting the dots more to people that might have been involved or had a motive for Sister Kathy not to be living anymore. So that's the stuff we're really looking at now. And I know the police are taking that very seriously Mm
2: -hmm. Interesting. And Jean, and you said you're not, you know, you don't do, you're not really active on social media and that sort of thing. How closely, if at all, do you follow, you know, kind of every new detail of this case?
3: For one, I'm I'm somebody who Gemma and Abby will dro- <laughs> they'll send me whatever comes across that they know that I'm uh-huh. on Facebook and they know that so they send me uh, different things that might show up or different um, uh, articles that some or something that somebody has said. I um, I made a point after the keepers came out. I went to the police and I told them. Everything I had told the the courts, all the people that I remembered, I wanted to make sure that if anyone else came forward because of the keepers, that they would be privy to the names that I had already said. Um, and that, to me, was good because I found out that they really don't look back over all the deposition notes and all of that. Oh. So I gave them that information. I also feel that... Um, Uh, I get triggered a lot. So there are certain things where I'm starting to step out. So I've talked to different survivors. One of the reasons I'm not on Facebook, one of the many reasons, but one is um, it would overload me yeah, and it would stop my process. But also I'm not really involved with the alumni. And as I'm still integrating with that last year, and that last year is after Kathy was dead, and I know not just me, I'm sure other girls in that school now have been threatened, their life has been threatened because of that. And we did whatever we were told. And if you can imagine being in a situation where you need to embrace a part of you that for so many years you denied, you 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 believed that you were what they told you you were. So what happens now is um, I slowly am stepping out. I'm giving different talks. And then I get responses back from people that I hear then a little bit more what is going on. Um, And then I move out a little bit more. And then I get something back. And then I move out. So I'm kind of in that step-by-step still. (laughs)
2: Uh Well, (laughs) kind of the way life goes, it sounds. yes. It's so interesting how you're how you know, you know, I just I think it's I just how self-aware you are. You know, you sort of step in and you step but you kind of calibrate it. You you know when it starts to be a bit much.
3: Yeah, well, and that's part of the healing too, Kelly. I'm really speaking to other survivors and other victims right now that um it's yeah. not easy. And I have had people over the year want to know, how did I do it, you know, or want Mm. me to coach them or, or want there's, there's as if, um, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel and they want to know, how did I get there? And the truth is, is that we're all individual and we all survive differently. And I can't tell you why I'm sitting here and that I'm not dead, like maybe another, um, victim who that's as far as they could go with it. But I do feel that, um, When I think of The Keepers, I would not be sitting here talking. I would not have been able to say the things that really matter to other survivors and other victims. I believe that we, with Netflix, this came out May, what, 19th? And then by October um, of of 2017, the Me Too movement started. I believe that The Keepers was an extremely... Powerful in being part of that foundation. There were other things, the women's, you know, march and all of that, but this was powerful. I, I agree with Ryan. It went worldwide. I I think that we were all stunned. We were shocked of the responses from all over the world, and I believe that we were instrumental in this period of disclosure hmm. and you know transparency and and holding people accountable. And I think that it's an ongoing and we'll just keep right on doing it however we can.
2: You talked about this just overwhelming onslaught of people who came forward after The Keepers came out. How did it all come to you? Just emails and, and what was it like?
0: Every avenue possible. I mean every form of social media, every form mm-hmm. of communication, communication. Um, you know we had we had made a very concerted effort that uh most of our main characters went black on social media or uh being able to find their addresses people could still find you know would get through the cracks and find jeans phone number and be leaving voicemails oh. uh so we were getting an onslaught of of um you know it was all positive uh, very very little of it was negative sure. minus the archdiocese mm-hmm. side, which we can right. talk about later. Okay. but from the personal reactions um, they were all positive but that that really um, that really I think hurts you when you know you can't be a part of telling all these people's stories you know so that you would get the most heartfelt, personal sagas from someone's life in a, you know, a city in a country that you've barely ever heard of saying, would you come document my story? The same thing happened to me. Um, And so we were, we were, um, we were rattled. Uh, And, you know, that, that Mm -hmm. first weekend, I spent the entire weekend uh, physically ill, vomiting because I was so uh, unprepared. I think, you know, I, I just, I'd been so tunnel vision in getting the keepers to the finish line Yeah. And then it felt like you pulled the lid off of so much pain around the world and you had to ask yourself, Mm -hmm. is this a good thing? Um, And you care so much about people like Jean and Teresa and Lil and all these survivors in it that you're also calling them nonstop to make sure that they're keeping their head above water. So it was, it was a lot.
3: Yeah. And I would say that um, it was more like pulling this scab off of the wound. Um, This, this is a deep, deep wound. It's systemic. It is unacceptable. And yet it is so accepted. And so I think it's just what the keepers did was pull a scab off of the wound. And and I expected it to come out like like pain, like people hurting me, people saying I'm lying, doing all the things I was told they would do. And I was overwhelmed with how Accepting and loving and connected and and supportive, everyone was, and it was shocking. I said, "Don't you think, Ryan?" It was like it was just shocking. It was like you couldn't get your head around that this is real. This is real. They are these are real people. It was it was powerful. It was shocking, and it did take time to digest it to somehow uh, stand in it. I felt like I was. Kind of thrown for a while. That is how
2: I heard about the series. It was like a relative who was like, saw it and then had a story. And then there was like, you know, went searching in a database. and Like, you know what I mean? It just like prompted action. And then it was just like, all of a sudden, you couldn't not be talking about it.
3: It seemed like. Mm-hmm. Well, Kelly, it's interesting with um, with myself not being on Facebook or the social media. You would think, right. you know, so some of that is is comforting, but the other part is I'd be walking somewhere, and all of a sudden, someone across the hall would yell, "Gene!" Oh, and you look and you're like, when you share the depth of a wound like that, and you do it not because you. You want to talk about the the pain and, and the suffering, but you do it because you know that that it's going to help others. Um, it it really does, and I was in, the, in the, the space outside of, you know, kind of getting my feet back under me. People would just come. They come right up. It's heart to heart. It is the biggest hug you can imagine. They're saying in my ear some sweet nothing as if they are a long-lost lover. And then we would look each other in the eye and we go about our business. And I was shocked. I was, my space was invaded. All kinds of things were going yeah. on, but I couldn't stop myself. It was heart to heart. We had gone through any barriers that would keep us from knowing we are all wounded. We are all vulnerable. We have all had something happen that we felt that we were. Misused, abused, and somehow changed ourselves a little in order to survive, and I think that that's what we just—it was raw. Ryan, I—I I think, wouldn't you say it was just raw?
2: Totally. Wow. It had to be difficult. It had to be hard, though, too.
3: Oh, very much so for me. Now, Ryan has a different—he's in a different, you know, place with it sure. all. But for me, it was extremely hard. I had to, um, because you see, I, as a survivor who didn't talk about this. No one knew about it other than... Right. And then all of a sudden,
2: everyone knew about it.
3: Especially in Baltimore. Everyone. Where Jean
2: still lives.
3: Oh, yeah. And as a survivor, sometimes to protect yourself, you're in your own little bubble. You're kind of out there. you, You present. You got your persona going. And next thing you know, here are people... Bursting through my body, right. <laughs> you know, it's like touching my arm or giving me these huge hugs, and it shakes a part of my coping mechanisms up. Like, oh my god, what just happened? You know, and then I started not wanting to be yeah. out that much because i didn't I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to talk about that. It wasn't. Someone I wanted to talk to. I didn't even know All these people, I I couldn't even tell you what their names Uh were. It was very hard. I think it was very hard. And probably all of the survivors would say the same, you know, um, who were in The Keepers, I I think. it's almost as
2: if this willingness to be vulnerable and be public— in that space, the series is one thing, but then people see you and they expect that that you're that you know it's going to be like that all the time. You know, you're like I just want to go to the grocery store. You know, right. it must be.
3: Well, they th- they think yeah. they know you. I mean, now it now it is, um, and we all value feeling like. Don't think you know uh-huh. me, you know. I mean, so it's like to be in the grocery store and just to have somebody come up next to you and s- over yogurt, you know. Yeah. Um, excuse me, you're Jean, aren't you? Oh, my gosh. Can I just give you a hug? Um, you know, I'm standing in the liquor store, of all things, getting <laughs> my red wine. And as I am reaching in my wallet to pay, this woman is standing next to me, and she's like, you're Jean, aren't you? And I was like, yes. And she said, I could tell by your hair. (laughs) I was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Can I give you a hug? That's all I want is just a hug. I'm like, and I, you know, I'm, I, okay. (laughs) Oh,
2: boy. That's, yeah, that's a whole lot.
3: But you know what? It's been all worth it. Kelly, I need to say that, that this is just a sign that people are hungry. They're so hungry. They're not hungry for the stories. They don't want all those details. We got that bombarding us. They're hungry for truth. They're hungry for people who are willing to be vulnerable, people who are willing to say, I don't know. You know, I got all kinds of questions. Why didn't you tell anyone? I don't know. I'm still working on that in therapy. I don't know you know i mean it's like and to have that impact on me like i don't know i asked myself the same question that must mean i should have an answer well people were starting to understand that this is extremely murky and as ryan has said you can't separate the abuse and the and the murder because they're all intertwined so you've got a whole lot more murk it's a whole lot more weediness and um, it, and we're still working on it. I think a lot of us are doing pretty good, but we are it's a lot of work and it's worth it. There's something heartening about
2: the fact that people respond so well to something that isn't clear cut, doesn't tie up in a bow, a, you know, that is murky, that, that people are, are open to that and responsive to that.
0: We used to joke that our tagline for The Keepers was going to be, The Keepers, there will be no answers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly.
3: Uh, (laughs) Just in case. I'm wondering if people would
0: respond to that because, you know, we were in the wake of The Jinx and Making a Murder. The Jinx which was on HBO and The Making a Murder, which was on Netflix. And I was really blown away that people were willing to go into The Keepers with an open mind and end it with an open mind, Mm -hmm. feeling like they'd still gone on a journey. And I think that's because of people like Gene. Yeah.
2: You mentioned the Archdiocese um, and their response after the series came out. What was it?
0: That was the most shocking response of all was, you know, the moment the Keepers came out, the Archdiocese had this uh, campaign, this social media campaign. I think they had a hashtag called The Keepers Untold. Um, Really? Yeah, they posted this GIF on Twitter. Uh, that was said like spoiler alert and then release and then link to the article where Maskell's DNA did not match as if they were proud that Father Maskell had not um, had a DNA sample on Sister Kathy's body. I don't know why somebody from the Archdiocese of Baltimore wasn't fired for the way they came out against the keepers. They 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 curbed it really fast and they apologized for their reaction. I mean, they hadn't even seen the series and they came out aggressively. Hmm. Um, we've never heard a response from the Vatican about the keepers or even um, anyone above the Archdiocese of Baltimore. As far as I know, hmm. um, nobody from that institution has weighed in about it. It's been totally insular to the archdiocese that exists in Baltimore. But what we have seen, which has been very heartening, is Catholics in Baltimore got angry. That's what re-messaged it. So when they started this ridiculous Twitter campaign, going after our series, going after the survivors, it was the Catholics that were responding and bombarding their Twitter page, bombarding their Facebook page, saying, this is horrifying how you are reacting to this series. Did you even watch it? This is not funny to release Maskell's DNA record. And then they started deleting things and apologized. Uh, But I'm still shocked no one was ever Fired uh, at the Archdiocese of Baltimore for how they came out about the keepers.
2: So there wasn't there wasn't like direct communication with you.
0: No, we yeah. had had direct communication Directly. while we were making the series, where I tried to get them uh, to go on the record, right. and they repeatedly denied that. Um, and I tried afterwards. You know, there was a petition um, incited by the popularity of the keepers, one of those Change. dot org positions, where I think like over sixty five thousand people signed a petition asking the Archdiocese of Baltimore to. Make public the the records on Father Maskell they still deny doing that, so uh, everything was indirect after the keepers came out. There was no point for me to communicate with them directly anymore. I had tried that all through the series, and then, when the public was so incensed by it and just wanted transparency, and the archdiocese continued to stonewall the process. They're never going to release those records. There's nothing that's going to make them release those records. There's nothing. Everything happens behind closed doors, including those mediations, which they then come out and twist the words of the survivors. There's no way that they're ever going to come out with that transparency. So that's not my goal anymore. I tried in making the series to make them transparent. My goal now is to just make sure that the keepers has an impact and and the survivors are being heard and that their words are not being twisted publicly, because that does make me angry.
3: Hmm.
2: Gene, you said you go and talk to sometimes um to other survivors, and you said that you mainly tell them that it's different for everyone right when they ask you how did you do it
3: well I, I yeah and i don't I don't do that a lot i I do it more through um talks that i'm giving, so I speak to groups or to the ones that I discern feels right, and I've said it to some people who have kind of gotten the opportunity to say. Uh, how how did you do it? And um, there is no answer. There is no answer. I can't tell you how I did it. I can tell you that I'm this far, but I can't tell you how I did it. You know. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you there's a lot of tools out there. I t- I can say that I'm a firm believer in in psychotherapy. I'm a firm believer in. Um, the deeper, more um, intense work that you do within yourself through meditation and through journaling and through, you know, the the tools that can be used and that might need a mentor or, or um, someone who is guiding you. Uh, there, the main thing is is to find those people and to find them and and to 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 work a step at a time with them. And I do think that the grassroots group, which I think Abby and Gemma were a big part of pulling together through the Facebook group. As much as I'm not on it, Kelly, <laughs> I my heart is a part of it, and my spirit soars because they were the beginning of church for me. They, After what happened 20-some years ago, that was church. They believed. They encouraged. They called forth. They supported. All of what they have done Um, was what I would say if I were asked church is about.
2: I guess uh, sort of the question, the the kind of final question I want to ask is, you know, people who've watched the series and probably people who are listening, um, you know, people who've lived through things themselves, as you found, right, with this just insane response, you know, so many people telling their stories. What, What would you want survivors, I mean, you talked about the tools you have and how you you know you don't totally know how you got through it which is interesting but what what would you want survivors to know what do you think you yeah what do you think is is if you could t- if you could have a conversation with all of them what would you want them to know
3: for one, I would want them to know that they're not alone because usually when there is an abusive situation, no matter how quick it is and no matter how quiet it is and no matter how private it is, um, the the biggest thing that happens is you think that you're the only one that's ever experienced that um, or that you, this was something you did. So it does feel very singular. But I would say, no, you're not alone and that... Um, Find those that you can talk to. You know, find if it's one person that you can risk sharing. Do it, do it, do it. And it doesn't have to be your family. Family can show up in many different disguises. So find that person or find that group. But if it doesn't feel right, walk away from it. But just know you're not alone that there are others who understand, who get it, and that you did nothing to cause it. You did absolutely nothing to cause it, that this was done to you. And it is a crime, no matter what words people want to put to it. It is not a sex act. It is a demoralizing and dehumanizing act of torture, no matter what degree the abuse is because it is an invasion of our privacy of our space of our being and it is not about sex it is about terror it is about torture it is about keeping you from knowing you are powerful and find that person find that group but know you're not alone
2: jean weiner thank you so much
3: my heart goes out, too. That's the other thing that happens, Kelly. When the door opens like that, you know that you're not alone. But it also brings a lot of heartfelt feeling for others. And I just want everyone to know who has been through it on some degree and some level. I love you. I, I really do. Because the more we share, the yeah. more we share. So you share with someone. And then they share with someone. And then they share with someone. And I'll be honest with you, you don't see it from the powers that be. I'm not getting on, you know, uh, um, the archdiocese, they're not putting out a public statement that we have something that we need to um, apologize for. We need to work. We're not getting it from the powers. We're getting it from each other and from those supports that we have in place. So keep up. Keep on keeping on guys out there, guys and gals and just uh we're doing it. We're doing it. And I you know again, you know, I'm a yeah. me too.
2: We're doing it thanks to you. Really seriously thank you. Again and again for talking and sharing your story. And Ryan White, thanks to you.
0: Oh, thank you. And thank you Jean for sharing. It was so nice to get to hear your voice for another hour.
1: <laughs> oh, I miss you, Ryan. Miss you. <laughs> That was Kelly McEvers with Gene Weiner and Ryan White talking about The Keepers one year later. One of the most inspiring parts of The Keepers was watching former students come together to investigate a case that had gone cold. At the center of that investigation were Gemma Hoskins and Abby Schaub. Gemma joins us now to discuss how life has changed since Netflix aired The Keepers.
4: Leading up to it, I was very confident that it would be impactful, but Not the way it's had an impact at this point. My name is Gemma Hoskins, and I'm a retired teacher from the Baltimore area, and Sister Kathy Sesnick was my teacher when I was at Keogh in the 60s and 70s. None of us involved or being in the documentary saw it before the public saw it. I was not apprehensive Excited, nervous, not knowing what to expect because the filmmakers had 800 hours of film and they had to whittle that down to seven one-hour episodes. So we had no idea what we were going to see. The Keepers released on the West Coast at midnight, which means that at 3 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast... It was available. So I had three friends that I had taught with. None of them went to high school with me. And they knew that I was involved in this and they had supported me all the way through. But I invited them to come and watch. I made them get up at six. I did actually wake up and watch five minutes of it at three in the morning. But then I thought, well, that's cheating. I'll wait until they get up. So I made everybody coffee and donuts and we all got up. And we watched it on and off all day. And then I think we watched the last two episodes the next morning. I was overwhelmed. I was touched. I thought it truly was a, a masterpiece. It was a piece of artwork. To me, it didn't, of course, I've never been involved in a documentary, but it didn't look like a typical documentary. To me, it looked like a beautifully crafted piece of piece of sculpture. There were some tears. It's hard to say my reactions because I really felt like we needed to break it up like we'd watch an episode and then we'd walk out on the beach or we'd go get a pizza and come back. I was okay until the last episode when Jean and Charles were both featured and Charles told his story because Charles was my neighbor his yard and mine backed up to each other and I didn't know about this until I learned that he had been involved in abuse at St. Clemens so you know he was the guy across the lawn that walked his dog when I walked my dog and we've become really good friends it's not been easy for him since the series aired not it's been a roller coaster for a lot of us this is not all yay, it's wonderful, it worked, we're all, you know, optimistic. It's been really difficult for me, and I think for most of the people involved in it at different times during the last year, there's always some trolls online who are going to criticize people who are making a statement or who aren't afraid to talk to the media. I've only had a few threats, but not many. And the people where I live... They take care of me. They make sure I'm safe. And not that I need to be taken care of, but, you know, sometimes I do. I left my Facebook Messenger open. I literally received thousands of messages from all over the world. The series was released in 190 countries in 25 languages. So a lot of my messages, I had to hit the translate button to see what people were saying. But I have to say that my life is so rich with the new friends I've met because of this. And if you think about something good coming from a horrible situation, for me, it would be the people that I've met that care and that care about me because they've become really dear friends in the community where I live now. The other thing is that people I think they feel comfortable with me, and I am not a therapist. I'm a retired teacher, but I always tell them the same thing. Tell the police, talk to a therapist, get an attorney. I can tell you a few updates, but your listeners will need to understand that the police do not share anything with us because this is still a very active cold case, as is Joyce Malecki's case. But I can tell you that since The Keepers aired, we have been given information about a number of suspects from witnesses or from people who were abused about those suspects. Another thing that happened since the series was released is that Archbishop Keogh High School was closed in June of 2017, about a year ago. It had a declining high school population, but the archdiocese was fully aware that the Keepers was being released. I think that telling people it was a budgetary issue was a good cover-up. They've covered up a lot. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want a daughter or a granddaughter in my family going to Keogh after watching The Keepers. The building itself is still standing, but it's our understanding that UPS has bought the building and that when the elementary school closes, which is indefinite, the building itself will come down. But I am Perfectly fine with that building coming down. How do I help myself? Taking care of myself is something I have to purposely put into my day. My philosophy is to do something productive, something therapeutic, and something fun every day. And it could be the same thing. But so far, I've been able to, to do that. Um, living at the seashore certainly helps. Sometimes I just watch the ocean, and that's amazing. And I guess this is not too far off the topic, but I really feel like what I'm doing now with this case is why I was born. I'm not religious. I kind of deal direct, but I do believe that we're each here for a reason. And I lost my dad very suddenly. I lost my husband to cancer when we were 35. I've had a number of health issues And I always wondered, why am I having to deal with all this? And now I know, because the things I've dealt with and came out ahead and okay, I mean, I think it all got me ready for what I'm doing now.
1: Thank you, Gemma. Gemma is currently supporting a survivor's fund on GoFundMe.com. The link to that page and the official Keeper's website, thekeepersimpact.com, which has other resources to help survivors, are in the episode description. Now let's hear how you all have been feeling about The Keepers. This is a tweet from at Rachel Sein. While we are talking about women who broke silences this year, can we just shout out the women of The Keepers who did some of the most brave vigilante investigative work to try to find justice for their friend? This tweet is from Har underscore Shone. Watching The Keepers and this shit is real. I am so angry and sad for these women but then also so in awe of their bravery.
3: This tweet is from Pamela Koloff. One of the most remarkable things about The Keepers, it's narrated almost exclusively by women in their 60s. We so rarely hear these voices.
1: This is a tweet from at Nell underscore Andrew. Oh my God, The Keepers. Only one more episode to go, and for me, this might be one of the best true crime docs of the last decade. If you want to share your thoughts on any upcoming shows, make sure to find us on Twitter at Can't Make This Up or on Facebook at You Can't Make This Up Netflix. Now, before we go, there's still one thing we need to do. Here on You Can't Make This Up, we have a segment we like to call What You Watching? It's where we find out what the people who make these original Netflix shows like to watch on Netflix. Did you know you're listening to a Netflix podcast from Netflix? Let's hear what the Keeper's director Ryan White and one of the series characters Gemma Hoskins are watching on. You guessed it, Netflix.
0: Uh, I just watched *Godless*. Oh, which I thought was incredible. Okay, and uh, I watched *Ozark*.
4: Oh my gosh! I have done. Let's see. I started watching *Flint Town*. I watched. What's the one? Oh gosh! Now you're putting me on the spot because I watch Netflix every night and I can't come up with anything. I'm a documentary freak and a true crime freak.
1: And that's it for this week's episode. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new series for you to dig into. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your dog. You know the drill. Our music is by Hansel Sue. This is You Can't Make This Up. I'm Ray Vada, and thanks for listening.